Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Reputation Town podcast. It is December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, this is Warren Weeks. And as always, I'm joined by uh, my friend and compatriot, John Paranak. Paranak, good to hey, see Warren. you. Likewise, likewise. Doesn't it feel like the news is like accelerating as we head to the end of the year? It just seems like there's a lot of stuff happening right now. Everything is fast. Like information, social media. It's just, uh, I feel uh, just like a, drinking out of a fire hose. So I know exactly what you mean. So I'm glad it's not just me. Um, any off-topic stuff before we get into the public relations items of the day? Um, I think Christmas is coming, I've been told. <laughs> Breaking That's news. So- <laughs> Stop the presses. You might want to get prepared for that. Are you shot? Like, are you shop ahead guy last, or are you Christmas Eve running around? No, I don't like doing that. I'm trying to I'm trying to do ahead, but I, I'd be lying if I said it was too much ahead. Yeah. How about you? Uh, well, no one likes being the the December twenty fourth, but like I tend to fall into that category. So I'm, okay, we still we got a couple weeks. We'll see. We'll see how it next goes. topic. We'll next topic. <laughs> so, um, last week or when was it? a couple days ago, we got to do a uh, end of year podcast with Molly McPherson, sort of like the top crises of the year. I don't think that's out yet, but. Uh, Excited to hear that one. And what I didn't know is at the end, she said, she's like, oh, I'm going to chop this up and put it on TikTok. And both of us are like, oh, shit. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. I would have, I would have uh, dressed more stylish. I'd have worn like an anonymous mask uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, that too, yeah. I thought it was going to be seen by like four people, not four million. Okay. So topics of the day. The first one we wanted to chat about is from the world of uh, combined sports and media and AI. A lot of things that are kind of in the news these days. And some of you may have heard about it, the Sports Illustrated Artificial Intelligence Scandal. Um, do you want to break this one down? Do you want me to describe it? You, you have, I think, the, the, the description really done down very well there. Okay, so if you think of Sports Illustrated, and if you're of the vintage that we are, this is a legendary, epic publication, like just a, like a pillar of, of sports journalism. And you think of the SI swimsuit issue and, you know, Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky. And so how the mighty have fallen over the years. So recently there was a story that broke that said that Sports Illustrated has been running artificial intelligence generated articles um, by non-existent human beings. So I guess that's kind of redundant. Um, That's not really... The, the interesting part, because there have been publications that have been doing this for years. Like I read a piece four or five years ago saying that uh, AP was doing the follow-up stories to baseball games based on they were getting AI to do it, and they had laid off a bunch of journalists. And when you take the stats of a, of a typical baseball game and you pump them into a computer, there's a pretty standard formula that you can kind of do. And I would guess you probably wouldn't even be able to know that a computer kind of wrote it. You're just looking for this update. This isn't something by Ernest Hemingway. It's just a kind of a formulaic thing. So that's not new. And we're all living with Chad GPT and universities are struggling with this and workplaces. Do you use it? Do you not? So it's not necessarily that they're using AI. It's kind of the way that they were using it. And the piece that made this really interesting was that in addition to using AI to create these articles, they actually created fake people under the bylines. So they would have a name by, you know, for example, Drew Ortiz. This is one of the characters. You can actually look this up on Google. And they had a little photo of this person at the bottom generated by artificial intelligence, doesn't exist. And 
apparently it's one of these images you can just purchase online, like, you know, uh, ordinary male, blonde hair, blue eyes, and they put it in. And they even went so far as to include a little bio with some of these, I understand. Like, you know, he likes long walks on the beach and playing with his dog Fluffy or whatever. And so someone blew the whistle on this. And, you know, this is one of the stories we chatted about with Molly the other day. And the consensus among us, and we don't have any insider knowledge, was that this was one of the journalists who is kind of being displaced by like something just feels a little wrong about this. So someone blew the whistle. And then the first thing that sports illustrated did is it went and it deleted all those articles. So that makes them look like they got their uh, caught with their hand in the cookie jar a little bit. And then the second thing they did was to blame a third party provider. So there's a company called Advon that they had used. And again, I think that's another indication of how far the mighty have fallen. You have this massive publication that had all these writers on staff and now they're outsourcing content to a third party provider and that third party providers having computers write it. And then the piece that I think we want to talk about today is the fake people, the little images, the bios. And that's just it's that that just seemed to be a little bit beyond the pale and people kind of freaked out. Uh, What's your take on the story? Should we be upset or is this just no big deal? Get used to it. Uh, and everything's going to be written like this in the future. Well, you had it right when you said on the top, that this is in some respects, not new. And even corporate earnings reports that are, that are normal course of things. Th- those are generated the same way as the baseball and sports scores stories you talked about. I think it was the deception. That was the the thing that really Cause, cause controversy, obviously, if, when, when you're trying to fake something entirely, that is not a good place to be. And I, I think, obviously, uh, you know, given the number of layoffs that have happened in the in the uh, world of journalism over the past number of years, and, you know, every year it seems like they're accelerating, uh, there's a lot of journalists who are upset about that in particular. Like, oh, you're not only you're firing me and replacing me with a computer, but then you're pretending <laughs> to create some dude... Yeah, uh, to, to to write it like well, you're a journalist. What, what was your what was your take on it? Found, it feels gross to me, and uh, you know, I yeah, I, I don't know what the staffing makeup of these these publications is, but and this reminds me of a story we're going to talk about in a little bit. But but there are decisions being made that are more business decisions than journalism decisions, and there this this is going to make a lot of people kind of roll their eyes. But there there is such a thing as journalism ethics the things you're supposed to do, the thing, like when you call up an organization, you're, the first thing you're supposed to do is identify yourself as a journalist. You're supposed to get both sides of the story, double and triple check your sources. Stuff that seems so quaint these days, like this should be obvious, but it just seems to have really kind of, um, the horse has kind of left the barn on that one. So when I see something like this, uh, and, I'm, and I've been removed from the front lines of journalism for a long time, it would be interesting to talk to people who are actually doing that job and talk to my sister and see what she thinks of, of this. Uh, it just feels gross. There's a there's a deception layer. And one of the things that we often say when we're doing crisis management sessions and things like that, you can think of any crisis that's take, taken place on a, on a massive corporate level. And it, it's amazing the things that people will forgive. People forgave Maple Leaf Foods for having this contamination outbreak and, you know, killing 23 people. People ultimately forgave the, the leaders of the town of Walkerton from 2007 people died, you know, several thousand sickened. Um, they didn't really forgive Doug or uh, sorry, Doug <laughs> Freudian slip. They didn't forgive Rob Ford about, you know, the crack smoking scandal. And that was really the big part of, and it was the deception. It was the lying about it. Right. And so with this one, it's um, using AI, like 
if I read the thing and I had a little image of a robot at the bottom or said, you know, this article is written by AI, I don't give a shit if it was written by, yeah, ideally you'd like to see some humans kind of in, in, in interjecting. Now I don't think AI can create at this point, the really cool, emotional, stimulating articles that like, have you ever read that, um, that, 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 that essay in Esquire, Frank Sinatra has a cold. Have you ever read that? No, I haven't. My God, you got to go for anyone listening to this. And you, if you haven't read that, you got to go check it out. So, and I should look up the name of the uh, author as well, just so I can give some credit where it's due. Frank Sinatra has a cold. Uh, 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 Gay Talese. So oh. the backstory here is that this journalist was asked to go and do a profile on Frank Sinatra in Vegas, go Follow him around, kind of like Walter Isaacson does with these books. Follow him around for a couple of days and write a story. And what ha- what ended up happening, and you know, it, it's such a huge assignment. You're having this great opportunity to talk to one of the, like most legendary crooners ever. And the uh, to to really summarize it quickly, Frank Sinatra was being kind of a dickhead to the journalist. And wasn't really he was in a bad mood, and he was not answering questions, and he was being very flippant. And it's hard to write a proper bio when the person's not answering questions. And so what they ended up doing was getting into this mode where they just kind of started looking around and observing everything and watching the surroundings and who is over here and who's over there. And it turns out, you know, he had a bit of a cold, which becomes a theme throughout the thing. But that's a piece of journalism that a, that a computer today just can't write. And so if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, I'm going to do you a huge favor. Go look it up. And um, I was talking to uh, my sister Carly about this online last night, and she said, have you ever read the one about um, the Kennedy's Gravedigger? Have you read that one? No. I hadn't either. I hadn't even heard about it. But apparently, I think it was Jimmy Breslin wrote this piece. And as they're laying John F. Kennedy to rest and lowering the uh, the coffin into the ground, everyone's writing about the president. And this one writer wrote about the guy who dug the grave and what did that mean Mm -hmm. to him and all this. So she sent me the link. I haven't checked it out yet. So not to digress too much, but that to me feels like the stuff that AI now, who who knows three years from now that might be knocking those things out 10 a day. (laughs) But if I, if I'm getting an update for a hockey game, I don't, you know, I don't really care, but it's the deception to to sit there and to come up with whoever's doing it must think like this is a little bit uncool to become, okay, that's the face. We're going to put that guy, this fake person. And like, what's, what, what's the upside? What are you trying to do? It's, it looks like they're yeah. trying to cover for the fact, like obviously they feel guilty about it. And to me, I don't like the old, the word that keeps coming up is just gross. Well, you know what? I had an interesting experience just a few days ago that is, I think adjacent to this where there's this podcast that I enjoy listening to and it, uh, it's called Babbage. It's um, an, an economist podcast. It's like science, science and technology. And they moved it within the paid uh, subscription area of their podcast, but they had a deal on. I thought, okay, I'll subscribe and I get all these other podcasts. So you know, maybe they'll maybe like some of those too. So I did. And I, I, I subscribed to a bunch of other podcasts that the economist does. Well, some of them are clearly read by um, computer. They basically computer automated text speech. Hello. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's and you can just like you just you as can, a human, you can you obviously can t- tell like when something just not it's quite the uncanny right. valley. You can just somehow you tell. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's actually 
not comforting to listen to. I don't know, maybe yeah. that's the wrong word, comforting, but it's there's something about it that just doesn't isn't the same. There's some discord to it. This just not the same as ha- listening to a couple people having a conversation or someone telling a story. And and I find it it, it uh, it's not like I'm probably not going to subscribe to it because of that. But here here they're thinking we can we can re- replace a person who, who would normally have read this. You know, it costs five cents yeah. uh, electricity to have the computer read it. And Bob's your uncle. You know, we have content to fill the pipeline mm. that we're charging people whatever whatever for. So I think I think actually there may be a bit of a reckoning here when you know, and, and maybe. Uh, maybe that's only a short-term thing because you're right. As as time goes on, uh, the the AI component to this is only going to get better. So, um, but it is it is an element of deception, or you just feel like uh, you're being you're being they're trying to dupe you, which then obviously calls into question. Like, hey, so in the back of your, back of your mind, you're thinking, do I trust this source? Yeah, it comes down to that. Um, I've 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 seen the same thing with YouTube videos recently because. I rarely watch uh, cable TV anymore. Like the only time I'll really watch is if there's a hockey game on I want to see. And so I'll, I'll end up watching YouTube videos and the algorithm sends you in these weird directions and you go down all these different rabbit holes. And every now and then you'll see this like hour long video about, you know, how the universe was created. I'm like, oh, that looks kind of, so you click on it and it's clear that the images and the voice are both, and probably the script is all AI. And, I get like, I can't get more than a couple minutes in. I'm just like, can't, I can't list like something. <laughs> it's good information, but I feel like it's not, I don't know. It's there's something that you just mentioned. That it feels like I'm, um, I'm wasting my time or there's something I'm being misled or, or whatever. Those are not the right words, but it feels, it feels kind of weird. And so I just, I just decide to not watch those. Yeah. But back to your point of original point, like when they, when they were caught out this, like they did, it seemed like they did the thing that, people often do when they're panicked, uh, delete everything. Yeah. And of course that ends up just amplifying the, the issue whenever that, uh, whenever that happens. So obviously they had another misstep there. So not a good day for sports illustrators. You would think that like we're, we're doing this podcast at the end of 2023 is sports illustrated even going to be a thing in 10 years. Like, will it even exist as a, as a business? Like, I'm going to say, this is maybe a little bold prediction, but I'm going to say no. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that bold. Like if you look what's happening with community newspapers here in Ontario, like there's thousands of them that are not being printed anymore as a hard copy. So many newspapers that don't exist. Um, Guelph Mercury gone. Um, the Hamilton Spectator. I don't know if you saw, but their 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 uh, newsroom is empty now. Everyone's remote, yeah. which is that's not the way. That's not the way to cover news. You know, you're sitting. In your I, living- I had a conversation uh, a couple of months ago with a journalist in, at a large outlet in Toronto, and I said I was having some guy come in to meet with the, meet with the, some of the editorial team, and it ended up. I said, "Well, we can come to your we can come to your newsroom if you want. If it's easier." And he says, well, actually, no one's ever there. <laughs> it's just an empty room. <laughs> and uh, we ended up meeting in our office instead. If you think of the way news is kind of created, and there's like a buzz and a, and, a, and a bustle in a newsroom, you think of those old movies like All the President's Men or um, people yelling across or tips or some, you overhear something and you add, like all these connections are kind of made, and that's just kind of gone now, which is uh, kind of sad. Anyway, I'm going to say 10 years from now, Sports Illustrated, not a thing. 
Bold prediction. It's maybe it's maybe not that bold if you look at all the other. I don't things think so either. either. I think it's I think there's a fair fair, fair chance it actually. Happens. Like I think Playboy magazine, like Hugh Hefner started in the fifties. I think that's gone. Is it not? I don't know. Let's Google it. I think it's. I think they went bankrupt. Well, you get it delivered. When's the last time you saw it at your house? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Someone must be keep stealing it. Playboy magazine is closing down for good. That's in 2020. All right. So oh, there you go. That's not a big shock. Cheaters never prosper. If you're using a robot, let people know. Like, I would assume that every essay getting written by a university student is at least 10% AI. Then that be that might be low. <laughs> every like you know, suddenly these kids are all like really great writers. Okay, we're moving into the area. Speaking of people without journalism experience, we're talking about now uh, the president of CBC, Catherine Tate. Would you like to uh, introduce this one? So uh, just recently, don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but just recently CBC announced a 10% reduction in workforce to, uh, you know, reduce costs and uh, at, 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 uh, the moment of this happening, this the president of CBC went on uh, a number of news shows to talk about talk about the layoffs. And in particular, she was on a CBC show when she was asked the question, "Are you guys still going to go ahead and pay your executives bonuses this year, despite the fact that you just laid off six hundred people?" I think. Yeah. You, well, should we play the clip? We'll hear from her. Yeah, and then we'll yeah. rip it apart. I'm just, just curious about something. I'm going to presume no bonuses this year. I mean, the Canadian Taxpayer Federation said a Freedom of Information request showed $16 million were paid in bonuses in 2022. Can we establish that that is not happening this year? It's too early to say where we are for this year. We'll be looking at that like we do all our line items in the coming months. So there's a, there's a chance bonuses could still happen at a time when jobs are being cut? I, again, I, I'm not going to comment on something that hasn't been discussed at this point. So, okay. Okay. As a media trainer, let's uh, break this down. Initial thoughts, and there's a whole bunch of ways to look at this. But what are your initial thoughts when you hear that? Okay. Well, I think I, I can't help but thinking of it two different ways as, as someone who does media training. The first is how did she technically deal with the uh, what I would consider a speculative question. Because, because I think it's uh, down deep, she could probably say, "Well, we haven't decided exactly what to do yet." Um, and so I think she kind of, you know, blocked and bridged away from that to something she could talk about. The problem was the substance of what she, which where she had to go was like very unsatisfying. Like the idea that there would be the bonuses, actually paying bonuses this year is still an option being left open, is something that caused great anger amongst other journalists. Um, and so I think it's, you can look at it two ways. She had a, she had a bad, she had a bad reality to work from and that's her own choosing because she's the president. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I think technically she used the right technique to deal with that question. What did you think? I'd I'd look at it from two different perspectives as well. And, um, I, th I think from a media training perspective, you're always told if you get a speculative question, something about the future, something asking you to predict something, that the the standard answer is to say, you know, it, it would be inappropriate for me to to predict what's going to happen 12 months from now, but let me tell you what we're working on today. 
I don't think this necessarily fits into that. And I would love to have been in that media training session. I wasn't one about you didn't meet a trainer, did you? No, I don't think we'd be talking about her. And so that's what you're told. And, but I don't, it, it only works if you actually haven't decided like what I, what's clear to me as I listen to that is, Oh yeah, they're paying bonuses. All right. And they're probably going to be more than they were last year. That's what I'm hearing. So I think there's, there's two ways to handle that properly. We we should call this podcast Monday morning quarterback. Actually, it's not a bad name. It's not bad name. So um, the first one is from an operational standpoint to take a stand and say, God damn it. No bonuses are off the table. The economy is tough. Housing crisis, inflation, interest rates, people are hurting. We're laying off 600 people. We have 200 vacancies. We're not going to fill no bonuses. That's option number one. And then you can go on the news and at least seem kind of like a human being. Option number two is to actually admit to say something along the lines of, well, yes, we will in very, very likely be paying bonuses to various people throughout the organization, executives and journalists alike. Um, because of contractual obligations that we have, union arrangements that we have. It's very important for us to retain key people that we have. That's a part of our business. We could do a 10-minute interview on that. And so I understand how that might bother some people and kind of hit them the wrong way. At the same time, we're devastated to be losing these individuals. You know, the the, the cuts to local journalism and kind of blame the government. Like, I think that would be the other way is to to just kind of admit it. And then, like, there's nowhere you can go after that. Uh, at least I'm not thinking because I think what she ended up doing was the worst of all those options. Basically, yes, we know bonuses are going to get paid. She gave an answer that I don't believe personally, and I think you know I'm a pretty good uh, proxy for the the lay person out there. I think that most people driving down the road in their cars listening to that would say that's she's full of shit. And so that's I think the worst of those options to me. That's a fair point. We'll find out because she's been called to um, oh, testify yeah. to a parliamentary committee. And uh, I, I think that um, the questions they're uh, going to ask her are going to be even more pointers. And if you want to break this down a little more, so do you know how long the interview was that she did with Adrian Arsenault? That was the journalist in that clip. Do you know how long that interview was in total? I don't know, but I'm guessing like five, seven minutes. There's 10 minutes long. There's a 10 minute clip of the whole thing online. And as we talk about so many times, the piece, the only piece that I saw, and I I just did some research because I knew we were going to be doing this podcast today. The only piece that we see is a 30 second clip that happens so many times. You'll do an interview that's 10 or 12 or 15 minutes long. And then there's this one key moment. It should be so clear in when it's happening that that's going to be the question. That's going to be the thing the elephant in the room. And, you know, I, I don't think she was blindsided by the question. I think they probably practiced it. And she's like, okay, tick box prediction. I can't speculate about what's going to happen. And when in reality, like I did some, some digging today, they said, yes, bonuses are, have to be paid. There are union arrangements that say these are going to be paid. There are people who are um, contractors, not full-time employees, and they have bonuses built into their their, their pay packages. And so, for, oh. for her to say that's, well, that's not, a, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So for her to say that's not the case is 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 kind of like what we call lying in the industry. Well, but so okay, if that's the case, then that's just bad preparation because that's an easy answer if you just use the facts. And actually, you're right. And so by not even sticking to the facts as they are. Uh, as clear as they're laid out as you just did, then you're just making creating problems for yourself. You know, there was an interview with Mary Barra, the CEO. Oh yeah. GM. 
where she was asked a similar question in the middle of, you know, um, work disruption with the union as they were trying to get to a new contract. And then, you know, she was asked, you know, is it fair that you make $30 million a year and, you know, um, you're, you're, you know, haggling with your employees over, over a new contract. Mm -hmm. And she took the approach you did, which was basically, um, my compensation is, 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 um, determined on the performance of the company. And we have a very, um, competitive package that also pays our people on the performance of the company. And then she provided details on the, on the, um, some of the, some of the benefits and some of the components that go into, you know, being able to offer people pay based on uh, strong pay based on the performance of the company. And it was a really strong answer overall, I thought. Yeah, and that I remember that one. Maybe a better model for this, for sure. I remember seeing that one in the news, and then as I love to do, because uh, you want to find out who is this person, because I'd heard her name, Catherine Tate, I've heard of her over the years. Um, I think she was the person who fired Wendy Mesley a couple of years ago, if you remember that controversy. Mm. And so I looked mm. her up on her LinkedIn profile, and from what I saw, unless there's something missing from that, and I think it went back to like the '80s, no journalism experience in any way, shape, or form. She'd worked in like TV production and movies and that kind of thing in New York, but uh, definitely a different business than journalism. So, you know, I don't well, know. Especially if, the public broadcaster to boot. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know if you need journalism experience to run a journalism company. I think it would probably help in some respect. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is like, why is everybody firing people at right before the holidays? Like, not that there's a great time, but read the room, man. Like, look around. Can you, is January better? I maybe, maybe because it just, it makes you look like the Grinch who, who stole Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Not good look. Okay. Then we move along to, this has been a really big story that's been blowing up in the last couple of days online, which is the uh, presidents of the three universities in the States who were um, in front of, I think the house education committee and getting asked some questions about um, anti-Semitism in universities. And do you want to kind of like lay the foundation for this one as well? And we have a video or an audio clip to play. For sure. So speaking to a congressional committee or parliamentary committee is not dissimilar from engaging in an interview. All of the questions could be much tougher. And in this case, I think Elsie Stefanik, who um, interestingly is like the Trumpiest of among the Trumpiest of members of the House of, uh, um, House of uh, Congress, uh, House, of, House of Representatives in Congress, um, she asked the question, does it violate your um, uh, policy on harassment or ethics for the university? Code of conduct. By call, yeah, code of conduct. <clears throat> by calling for the genocide, eliminating, murdering an entire race of people. And the, oh, this, the the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and uh, one other university, Penn, yeah, all gave similar answers. Maybe we should play the tape and then right. we'll talk about it. So this is uh, just one excerpt from this. And if you can go look it up online, there's a three-and-a-half-minute clip that's gone viral. And this is the exchange with the uh, president of Penn. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? 
If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct... It can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. Okay, and so that's basically the flavor of that. And what you can't see is, and again, I don't, I don't know these these people, but you're watching this, and this is what we do: we watch these clips and and people in these stressful situations. Right before she answers each one of the questions, she has like a smirk or a smile on her face, and I don't know what the what's generating that. Maybe it's discomfort, but it has the look of someone like just you know that it, it's like this smirky, cocky, weird look on her face, and. That's the other thing. Like the audio clip on its own is bad enough. Watching the video with the faces and, and all three of the presidents had a, had very similar answers and a very similar kind of look on their face, which is it didn't really uh, the blowback has been tremendous. So um, listening to that, what what are your, what are your thoughts? I was just outraged. Like how could how could you? I could ask my kids this question and they would have a better answer than these than these presidents. The question was not that hard. And the fact that they, they decided they were going to do all this mental gymnastics to try and imagine this, you know, how this wasn't in some way broadly um, offensive and definitely violating their, their so-called policies uh, was just mind-boggling. Like, how could, how could people in this job not just say, you know what, I know what the right answer is because I know what the right thing is? Mm. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. And so I'm going to say the right thing because I do, I'm going to do the right thing because that's what I do as a president of our organization. And to me, it undermines their, their um, credibility entirely and frankly disqualifies them uh, for the, for the roles they have. Like, I don't know. We, what, 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 when you, when you listen to that, you know, like obviously geopolitical, implications aside like yeah. as a as a ceo what's your reaction it's at first i thought it was fake that was my first reaction like this this can't be real maybe it's one of those maybe sports illustrated made it <laughs> they're little they're little <laughs> avatars and then i you know saw the clip and i started reading some people's reactions to it and then googling these individuals and who are they and their roles and just trying to kind of fill in some of the blanks and it's um i'm trying to i find myself asking why why do you get to that point where they all have the same? I think they're all trained together. Um, and I, again, I don't know if this is correct, but when I'm the, the woman we were just watching, Liz McGill, who's the CEO and president of Penn, when she was answering her questions, the look that I saw on, on her face to me reminded me of someone recalling being trained on that moment and having a little bit of kind of an out of body experience. And she actually, you know, those FBI guys who say, when you ask someone a question, if they look this direction, they're remembering it. If they look that direction, she looked, she looks up 
and then she has this smirk on her face, and I think she's like, "Oh my god, this is the thing we did in the session, and now we're <laughs> now it's real, it's happening." I don't think she even really realized she was kind of doing that. They all had the same answer. They were all prepped that way. They all got grilled. They paid someone a ton of money for this. And the reaction has been bananas. So business leaders, donors, politicians, um, when the money stops flowing to these schools, that's when you're going to see, I think, one or all of these individuals are are, are toast. You know, two of those schools, I think Harvard and Penn, have issued um, follow-up statements, kind of apologies. I don't, did you see the one of that woman, well, the, Liz McGill? I doing did, and, and that was actually even more enraging because, okay, first off, I give her credit for doing a video. Harvard did a written statement. Yeah. And when you have when you have your CEO, and forgive me, but basically go up there and just like shit the bed and Congress <laughs> uh, <clears throat> with, with that kind of performance, you can't clean it up by have, issuing a written statement. No. Right? That's just nonsense. Anyway, so credit to her for doing video. But her 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 message was basically, okay, you know what? I reflected on it for, uh, over the over the course of the last twenty four hours, and yeah, I agree that if you if you call for murdering an entire race of people, that's probably not what our policy stands for. And so, okay, I've 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 changed my view on that. But the problem is 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 our policies, and I commit to look at our policies and work with our you know whatever board, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's the problem wasn't her. It was like, oh, it's a it's some, something else is the yeah. problem. And and that kind of deflection, I thought, just even like double down on the yeah. the, um, the the fact that she is not fit for the job that she has. So just to, for the bookend on this, should we listen to the video, the uh, video message from Liz McGill? Sure. Okay, it's two minutes long, and if it gets too boring, we'll cut it off. But I just want to give everyone context of what we're talking about here. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear. A call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. Okay, and it goes on. Uh, you, you get the basic gist of it. So she's sitting, it looks like somewhere in her home, there's kind of a bookshelf behind her and she's wearing like this red kind of blazer and she looks sad. She looks kind of contrite. Um, it's clear that she's reading. There's a teleprompter below the camera that she's reading. Not that that's good or bad. Just these are the observations that I'm kind of making. Um, I'm, I'd be interested who wrote that because I don't think it was her. No. Um, and which billionaires were blasting the board and the executives. And because uh, this is a business and it's one of the biggest businesses, one of the oldest businesses in the United States. And this was a very high profile, as you said, uh, shit the bed moment. It makes you wonder. And I looked up, um, I looked up Harvard's policy 
Uh, I know we're talking about Penn, but I looked up Harvard's policy on bullying and harassment. It's 21 pages long, very exhaustive, very comprehensive, a lot of stuff in there. Just looking through it, and you can look it up online, looking through there, it seems like, you know, talking about a genocide is fairly, that would be covered under there. And, and, and what, I, you know, you, if you try this little thought experiment, if you took the word Jews and you replaced it with something else, blacks, indigenous, Hispanics, people would lose their minds. And so I don't know oh, yeah. what, what is going on about the moment in time that we're at, that this is uh, acceptable at institutions like this. And is it the whole just, you know, go, everything's moving far left? And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find moments where, like, is this a consistent policy? And so I found a thing in, in uh, June of 2017, Harvard actually rescinded the admissions of 12 students who had been accepted, and they said, you're not coming anymore, uh, over obscene Facebook messages. So someone had, had taken messages from these people who got in, showed them to the school, and the school said, you're not coming to school here. That they'll expel you for a, a Facebook message, yet you can call for genocide, and they're kind of walking this tightrope and kind of dancing around it. So uh, really interesting story. I also tried to look up their salaries. Very hard to find online. Very hard to find. Um, the closest I could come was kind of vague numbers. Uh, the president of Harvard, Dr. Claudine Gay, uh, has a salary of close to a million. Um, the lady from Penn that we just heard um, couldn't find her salary, but the, the outgoing CEO's salary in 2021 is $1.6 million. So, and, you know, I just bring it up because it's it, these are very well compensated people. You'd think they'd be a little smarter than this in this moment to realize the gravity of it and what is happening. And even in, in the training sessions, when they were trying out these questions and these answers, like did someone not say, hey, maybe this is not, maybe this is not the right answer. Maybe this is not well, the right answer. I, you know what it is? It's, and I, I have to imagine it is, this is entirely because were they to go and say that so directly, like they should have, because it was the right thing to say, yes, calling for genocide is a violation of our policies and it is not allowed, which it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud that you have to Fairly obvious. say that, that it shouldn't be allowed. But then that would mean that they would have very difficult conversations to have with other groups on campus. And they, they were trying to avoid that. And as a result, it was easier for them to um, to go up and do, do what they did instead of dealing with the doing the right thing. And that's what I think this comes down to. And ultimately, it failed because the video we just heard and the written statement from Harvard, that's called damage control, right? You're trying yeah. to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And of course, at this point, it's uh, it's too late. And so you've seen people, not that this is like the... But Dave Portnoy, you know who that is, had a statement. Yeah. And again, a very high-profile guy, a lot of followers, large company, said, I will never hire anyone from any of these three schools. And, you know, maybe it's while those folks are, are working there or not. But I think you're going to see similar things. A lot of donations are going to dry up, and a lot of people are going to start going to different I, schools. Like, uh, my bold prediction is none of these three CEOs are going to be there in even three months' time. Wow. I, I think they all have to be gone. Because to your point, the, the, like the, the donor base, the former, the alumni, um, they're they're going out of their mind because of the, yeah. the what these CEOs have done. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. I would say, you think all three, all three in three uh, months? I can't imagine how you could defend keeping any of them. Yeah, man, harsh words crazy story it's like it's hard it's so hard to believe like you have such well-funded organizations and 
like people think, you know, you need, you need to have access to capital to, 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 to do proper communications and to have the right strategy. You, you really don't, you know, it's a lot of this stuff is, you know, you could take someone like you out for a beer, <laughs> talk about this for an hour and you'd have your answer or anyone yeah. in the, anyone who's been around the block in, in this, in this business media relations and I know that when stories like this take place, the communications people are just pulling their hair out going, oh, my God, who's advising you? Or maybe, maybe they're yeah. just surrounded by, uh, you know, yes men, yes women. Just saying, Think yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what happened to Elvis. He was surrounded by those people. There you go. Didn't work very well for him. Hey, no. did, you ever, did you ever see that movie, by the way, the Elvis movie? I haven't yet, Jesus, no. Dude. I got to see that. It's on Netflix. I'll, I'll make sure I watch it's it. It's on Netflix. You have no excuse. We'll watch it together. I want to watch you watch it. Okay. <laughs> okay. And the last one, this, this story feels a little bit stale now, but we haven't, um, I think this broke just after our last podcast. So we haven't had a chance to talk about it. And it's the, um, and we're not, we, we don't want to talk so much about the TMZ aspects of it. We want to talk about the corporate communications aspects of it and reputational impact and, and all those things. And it's the Chicago Blackhawks, Corey Perry, um, being put on waivers and he's not with the team anymore. So do you want to give a little flavor on this one and kind of um, how the, the angle we want to kind of look at it from? Sure. Okay. So the backstory is one of the players of the team, the a rumor started circulating, sorry, he had left the team and the team had made some sort of a very opaque announcement about him being gone from the team for a while, for some reason, which it didn't, didn't say then rumors started circulating that it was because of some inappropriate uh, relationship that uh, he'd had with a family member of another player. And um, this, as rumors sometimes do, they sometimes start growing. Sometimes they just fade away into nothing, but this one started to grow. And um, the team issued a subsequent statement saying, oh, we've concluded a review an internal review and based on the findings of that review, we have put this player on waivers and with the, with the intention of terminating his contract when he makes it through waivers. And um, what in effect the statement did, because it once again, didn't clarify anything. You can read it both ways. You can read it like, Oh, it, yeah. There's nothing to the to, to the rumor, but it actually, in my view, it led uh, one to believe the rumor was true um, because it didn't dispel it, and it created this huge vacuum. Speculation went wild, as you said. It started getting coverage on you know entertainment news shows, and it just it was out of control. And then eventually, the the general manager had to do a news conference where he was sort of word he read a carefully worded statement and. Um, and finally added the little one sentence. This has nothing to do with um, any other player or their families, which had they said it at the beginning would have just short circuited all this stuff, but they didn't. And I think it's a problem entirely of our own making. And I think uh, from a corporate communications perspective, it just shows that the failure of the say nothing statement approach they were trying to use what, what, what was your take on yeah. it <clears throat> i don't think this story unfolds the way it does unless like if this happened in most teams i don't think we would have seen this story blow up 
but Chicago has a certain history. If you go back to what was it last mm. year, the whole Kyle Beach situation. So there's this um, player and sexual uh, uh, sexual abuse allegations, and then as we talked about earlier, a cover up by the team. This you know these terrible things took place, and then the team tried to actively suppress it and cover it up. And it's that deception piece that really ruins your reputation as a team. And then the team tried to double down on that. You know, we don't have to talk to the public. This is our team. This is a personal or an internal matter. When you have a hockey team, there's no internal matters. And I was thinking about, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because I know you're a very uh, rabid hockey fan as well. When you are the owner of a hockey team, all these billionaires and these big conglomerates, when you're the owner of a hockey team, you're the steward of the team, but it's not your team. It's the fans team. So it's, you know, it's your son's team who has the poster on his wall and sees the has the jersey on on his back or your kids going to the games, watching them on TV. They own the team. And that's the reason the team is successful. You as the owner, of course, you 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 have the asset and you're the steward of it and you can make the decisions, you can hire and fire people, but it's not really your team. And so the Kyle Beach thing was handled so poorly and then you look, you fast forward a year later, and then Chicago has the good fortune, you know, in air quotes, to have the top ranked draft pick. Because I think it was kind of like a little shady. Toronto was supposed to get that anyway. They end up getting the top draft pick, Connor Bedard, and then this story takes place. And so they sent out a statement, and the timeline's interesting too here because you have to be on top of these things quickly. So the first statement that Corey Perry um, was going to be leaving the team for kind of personal matters was sent out November 25th and Corey Perry's actual statement that he issued because he ultimately had to issue a statement saying, you know, alcohol and this and that. And I apologize. That was five days later, five days in communications land is forever. It's, it's so like two weeks. It's it was so it was long an eternity. and it probably feels longer if you're one of the people at the, at the core at the center of this, having rumors kind of thrown out around about you. You just you feel so terrible for the the individuals involved, and again, I have no doubt that the team, the people who are running the team, are blaming the public, the keyboard warriors, you terrible people. These are your fans, and they deserve some kind of transparency. You know, we don't need everything, but tell us, give us a category, because as you know, a vacuum that is left will be filled with rumors and speculation, and in the land of social media, it just takes off like wildfire. I think it reminds me of the Tiger Woods situation in um, the fall of 2009. And you remember when he hit that tree with his car and his wife kind of was oh, chasing yeah. him with a golf club and everything else. Yeah. Now he chose to not address it. There was no news conference, didn't make a statement. Do you remember how long it was in days between when he hit the tree and when he did his press conference, you know, with his little sweater and he's crying and his mom was in the front row. Guess how many days? Uh, I'm going to say... Two days. No. 84 days. What? It's 84 days. Seriously? 84 days. And so... Oh, my God. Now, if you go and look... This is one of the things I love to do. Um, Google Trends is this really cool website. Have you ever used it before? So you can go to Google Trends, and you can type in any term, a name, a team, a person, whatever... And then you can look at the web traffic and the news traffic on that person's name. And if you go to um, like November of uh, 2009 and go forward like two months, you will see this crazy chart. It looks like a roller coaster. It's up and down and it's up and down and it's up and down. And every one of those little peaks is rumors and speculation. Because if you remember, 
there was all this stuff on TMZ and all these news shows. It was mainstream news. And every couple days, there was a new woman who popped up and said, I was with Tiger. And here are the texts and here are the photos. Every couple days, there was another one and another one and another one and the rumors. And then his sponsors started dropping him one at a time and he gets a divorce and he loses $150 million and his golf game is in the toilet and people are chasing him around. And if he had just done it, there's an alternate universe where he did the press conference the next day, admitted everything, and then it was fine. Not fine, but like more fine than that. Eight, 84 than days. Me. And again, yeah. this is this guy is, well, he used to be a billionaire until he had to give half of it away. But this is a guy who was a billionaire, access to the best help in the world, and stuck his head under the bed for 84 days to to wait. And so that's the kind of thing that I think is happening here. Um, the fight or flight kicks in, which is, I, I empathize with like that happens as an executive, you're going to have, but Michael McCain had fight or flight too, but harnessed it and did the right thing. The people from Tylenol, I know we're not supposed to talk about Tylenol anymore, but like they did the right thing. And this situation, they just, they tried to cover it up and then they kind of blame the public. And I feel like these things are on the internet now forever. It's so unfortunate. And you have this young player, 18 years old, you're so young trying to start this career and um, to me, it, it, it makes me think that like karma is real it happens to people. And I think it happens to businesses too. And it happens to organizations. And to me, this is an, an example of uh, ignorance and a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of organizational karma. If they just would have said a little bit more upfront, they could have avoided all this. It did. So true. So true. I can't believe that target woods thing. 84. Days. I, that is crazy. Well, it just goes straight. You know, we were, we were, you and I were talking about the other day. Rule of thumb for getting out of a jam is figure out the exit point. What's going to the, the place you need to get to, to fix this situation and just get there as quickly as possible. Yeah. And 80, 84 days is not the quick way to get to the exit point. Did I ever tell you the David Letterman one, the comparative? So in, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember that one. It yeah. was right around the same time. So Tiger Woods situation started in, I think it was November if I had to guess, I'd say November 9th of 2009, a couple weeks before David Letterman had a similar situation. Like the, the details were a little different, but he had an affair with someone on his staff. And these are both, you could argue that, you know, they're not, you know, one's in golf, one's in entertainment. You could argue that they are relatively at the, at, at the peaks of their respective fields. You know, you had Jay Leno and David Letterman. So he's up at the top. You have Tiger Woods, a couple of other golfers, both intensely private people. You wouldn't see them doing sit-down interviews with uh, Entertainment Tonight. They were private. They didn't they like their privacy. They both got in a bit of a pickle, and it was similar, you know, these uh, marital indiscretions or whatever. And then when it comes down to how are you going to handle it, they did the exact opposite. So for those who are not aware, um, everyone knows about the Tiger Woods story, and not everyone remembers the David Letterman one, but... With that situation, he um, and I was watching his show live that night. I was a big David Letterman guy. I think you were as well. Me too. Well. I remember that. And yeah. watching the show, and he comes out, and when he usually does his little monologue, he says, "Hey, uh, do you folks like stories?" And I'm like, "Oh, hey, I like stories." And I'm kind of doing some work, and I'm listening, and I'm like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear." And he starts telling this whole thing about having this affair with this individual on staff, and FBI was involved, and someone tried to extort him for a million dollars, and all these crazy and the audience is silent and I'm look like, is this real? And so my first instinct was keep in mind, it's 2009, right? The whole, it's a whole different world. So I go on to, I go on Google, I look up New York times 
trying to see if I can see anything about the story. Then I go to CNN. I'm trying to see if I can, like, if this is real, I want to see it in the world. Like, is this a news story? But of course it wasn't on any of those sites because he had just broken the news ahead of time, as opposed to having someone else tell his story and out him kind of like the Tiger Woods thing. David Letterman took the hit and I'm, that must've been, and he'll never talk about this, I'm sure, but that must've been the toughest decision of his career to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go out and apologize in advance and you can find it on YouTube. It's out there. The clip go and look David Letterman apology to 2009 and he confesses every element of it. So he doesn't try to hide anything or play cute games. Here's what happened. I take full responsibility for this. I apologize to, and he named like, you know, I apologize to my partner. I apologize to CBS. I apologize to you, the the viewers. I apologize to my sponsors. I apologize to, I don't know if his kid was born at that time. I apologize to my son, Harry, and I will never speak about this publicly again. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Schaefer, and then he goes on and does the most awkward show. And if, again, if you go to Google trends and you look at it, it's just this little neat one day triangle. And then the story kind of goes away. Never loses a sponsor, doesn't miss a show. And he ends up, you know, fulfilling the rest of his career. Now you can think whatever you will about the guy, but from a communication standpoint, that's how you do it. Absolutely. Well, well put. I'd like to see him shave that beard. <laughs> I would too. What's going on with that? Yeah. He says he likes it apparently. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so that's all we had to talk about today. Anything else that we missed or that you want to add? No, but I, although we're coming up on the holidays, like we said, I think I have a feeling there's more news next week. I feel like everything stuff has just happened. It's like it's like waves crashing on the shore. Is it something one, you're sitting on, like that you? No, have, I, I just uh, your spidey you, sense. Spidey sense. Uh oh. Like yeah. Like, can you give us a bit of a psychic I, I psychic preview? I, what are you thinking? I honestly don't know. I just feel like shit's happening. I feel like you know stuff. I don't know. I don't know stuff. All right. So we're going to, we'll try to do another one of these before the holidays and uh, we'll see if uh, Nostra Paranac is onto something (laughs) here. All right. Um, Anything else before we go? Nope. That's it. Let's let's, uh, talk to you next time. All right, buddy. Good episode. And uh, for our listeners out there, thank you very much for listening. And if there's a story you'd like us to, um, to discuss, or if there's a guest you'd like to have on the show, Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email, and uh, we would love to hear from you. All the best, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.